0: Building a software solution for a unique set of hosting and ad tech use cases and using their customers as a case study along the way. That's what we're talking about on this week's episode of Sounds Profitable, Ad Tech Applied with me, Ryan Barletta.
1: And me, Arielle Nissenblatt.
0: Advertisers and podcasters find the perfect ad placement at Libsyn's AdvertiseCast Marketplace. Enjoy huge inventory and full service. Get started at AdvertiseCast.com.
1: Special thanks to our sponsors for making Sounds Profitable possible. Check them out by going to soundsprofitable.com and clicking on their logos in the articles. How are you, Brian? How are things?
0: I'm I'm good. We're recording this the day after we announced that Tom Webster is joining Sounds Profitable as a partner. So I am running off of pure caffeine. Checking my email Riding and social high. feeds too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not a lot of sleep, but I'm I'm so excited. The response has been really awesome. You know, yeah. we, we're really, yeah. really excited for the things coming. And I don't want to spend too much time on that because next week you are going to interview Tom all about that.
1: Yeah. So we don't want to give too much away. Yeah. I'm very excited to talk to Tom. I do want to say that if you ever need a boost, you should just read through the comments that people left for you on your LinkedIn post because people are pumped giving you compliments left and right, you and Tom, and people should check that out and and, uh, become friends with Brian on LinkedIn. And especially like our page Sounds Profitable on LinkedIn, we share all sorts of helpful information about the podcast space.
0: Yeah, it was definitely, definitely really uplifting and exciting. I mean, we've been doing Sounds Profitable now for just under two years and I'm really proud of what we created, but sometimes it's hard to see the positive impact so, getting that outcry of support has been phenomenal. It's uh, I'm really, really pumped. But enough about that. How are things with you? You've been at a bunch of conferences recently.
1: Yeah, and more to come. I was at Outlier Podcast Festival last week. MC'd the thing. Really fun to be in front of people again. I love a microphone. Put a microphone in my hand. Let me have the stage. I am too happy to do it. (laughs) And um, then this past week, I was at Sounds of New York, which was a really cool opportunity from Paradiso Media, where they brought seven French podcasters to town to learn about the U.S. podcast landscape. And I got to moderate two panels, and it was such a blast. And then I got to talk to French podcasters about things that I have taken for granted as a given in the podcast space here. And they had questions about, you know, what is dynamic ad insertion? And if I go to Germany for the weekend, are my ads going to be in German? Things like that. It was really, really interesting and fun to to meet new people. And um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. But Brian, I want to do a quick check in about the news that came out this week that podcast advertising will be a $4 billion industry by 2024. I would love your thoughts on that.
0: I think it's really cool. I think that's really exciting to see the massive growth that we've seen uh, be actualized in a report by the IAB and PwC. So it shows that a lot of this hard work is really paying off. That uh, the amount that they said that we hit for 2021, was 1.4 billion, which is really cool. That's just for the US because that matches what the estimates were for worldwide, I believe, for 2020. That's a big jump. And these yeah. numbers, now we were talking previously, I think, about $3 billion by 2023 or 2024 originally. They're, they're definitely increasing. We're seeing that growth. Now, it is a scary time, right? We're going through some economic turmoil in the United States. A lot of podcasting is direct-to-consumer advertising. So people are concerned about what the rest of the year looks like. However, I would say that we've proven podcasting as a safe and structured format that doesn't need to be an experimental budget anymore, that provides great results, measurable results that are easy to work with while the rest of the ecosystem from Facebook and app-based targeting and digital and video programmatic are kind of being jumbled around and how you target and how you measure it. So podcasting has stayed tried and true and has only continued to drive better performance and grow. So this is a great time to stay in podcasting.
1: More on that in the coming months. As more news comes out, we will absolutely keep you updated. Brian, let's get into today's episode. In just a moment, listeners are going to hear a conversation between Fatima Zaidi and you. Fatima is the CEO and founder of Quill, which is a Toronto-based award-winning production agency that specializes in corporate audio. I met Fatima in Los Angeles in the before times, and then she spoke at Outlier Podcast Festival in Salt Lake City in January 2020, right before everything shut down. She is an incredible speaker, not just because she's dynamic and interesting, but because she loves and utilizes numbers and data. And you will absolutely hear that in today's conversation. Brian, how did you first come across Fatima?
0: I think it was the Quill Awards, which we uh, we got to participate in as Sounds Profitable and vote for the, the best technology company. And that was very fun this year. But I'd come across it previously. I believe it might have been something that you shared. And we started connecting and talking about... All of the ideas that that happen in the branded space and how sometimes the tools aren't built for the branded space. And I think we dig into that in this conversation here. Oh, I think do. this really highlights what we've what we've really spent a lot of time working on. And so, yeah, I, I actually think it was related to something you shared. So thank you for helping us get connected.
1: Absolutely. Listeners, in this conversation, you'll hear Fatima talk about how her company's podcast production arm served as a catalyst to create a new product that's being released pretty much as we speak. And we will be back after Brian and Fatima talk to break it all down.
0: What made you decide to build a hosting platform this far into the podcast industry's lifecycle? cycle?
2: <laughs> This far, you know, the amount of times that people think that it's a saturated industry and I'm like, we're so early in the hype cycle. There's only 2.5 million podcasts and only 18% of them are active. But, you know, um, Brian, as you know, we've been creating, you know, podcasts for brands for a few years now and, and you know, our team of experts have noticed a lot of gaps within the industry. uh, Gaps that I'm sure you're familiar with all too well. The the fragmented data, the lack of consolidation, uh, helping pro podcasters really understand the ROI of their podcast. A lot of that information isn't really out there. And so we decided to sort of build a product for ourselves and the professional podcasters we work with. We were our own case study. And that's why uh, we decided to build co-hosts. There wasn't really anything out there that was really servicing our needs and the needs of our clients. And um, we decided to build a very consolidated uh, tech platform that, you know, you can host your show, but you can also get the analytics and data that is required to continue justifying the creation of new production budgets.
0: You know, you're you're right on that, uh, like on so many points here, like we're not that far, right? 2.4 million is not that many when you compare it to blog posts or books or movies or TV shows. And so I probably need to improve my language on that a little bit, but. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because there was such a push for everybody to build their own technology or just companies. People are like, I don't know a lot about podcasting, but I think I can build a hosting platform. So I put one together. And why don't I have market fit? Why aren't I competing? And and it sounds like you have it right. It sounds like not only did you realize that there are holes uh, and that the technology isn't one size fits all for everything that you're doing. But you were able to source the engineers and the group needed to actually build this tech internally. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Like everybody right now mm-hmm. is struggling so much to find tech talent, especially your podcast oh, knowledge.
2: Yeah, it takes a village. I'm still struggling. I mean, I think to answer your earlier point, which is we're still so early. You're right. 30 plus million YouTube channels, 600 plus million blogs, 500 Hours of content being uploaded min- every minute. However, I'm still really glad that we started with a production agency because uh, it, it provided really two big benefits. One, that we could bootstrap our business and fund the product side of our business and be cash flow positive. But I think the biggest Reason that I wanted to start a production agency first and a product second is because that's where the learnings happened. We were in the trenches with our customers. Um, so many product companies out there in podcasting who have never launched a podcast yeah. a day in their life. It's like, <laughs> how do you know what the pain points are if you've actually never been through the process? Um, in terms of you know the challenges of, of building a tech team, you're right. It's supply and demand is extremely tough out there, and and you know developers, product designers. Not only are they extremely, you know, rare unicorn hires, they can afford to go work at companies like Shopify for double the pay. And so what you're really trying to do is find those, um, you know, unique hires who are motivated by working at a startup or a scale up and, uh, you know, less concerned about maybe the money where we can't really compete with those big corporations and more, you know, looking to contribute to businesses bottom line and innovate. That's, I would say what's unique to our entire dev team, our CTO, our product folks. I mean, Brian, you've met them. Yeah, they're they're great. yeah, they're amazing and they're really energized by moving this industry forward and 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 making a difference. And so, you know, it, it's definitely been a bit of a grind. I mean, we're currently on the market right now for another full stack developer. So that would be the seventh um co-host hire on just the product side. And and I've been looking for almost five months. Wow. I, I I've emailed you, I've yeah. emailed everyone in the world. I'm like, does anybody have a full stack developer? We don't care if you don't have podcasting experience. Um but but you know, at the end of the day, I would say that the team is small and scrappy and nimble, and we've been able to push out features very quickly. And we also have this beautiful agency to supplement the work we're doing on the product side, and we're our own case study. Uh, so that's been really great.
0: That's, that's so smart. A lot of the companies that I've worked at in this space have not had people actively go through the process of launching a podcast or launching a campaign or making sure they understood what their end users were doing. Even shadowing it for a week would make or break someone's understanding Mm -hmm. of how to do it. But I Mm -hmm. I like what you said there, as we're trying to pull people into the space, teaching people about podcasting should be the easiest thing possible. We all should know it. Sounds Probable is working on an education course that's gonna be freely available. And I'm excited to help people with that, because like you said, the goal here isn't to compete with people that want to go work at Shopify. Mm-hmm. It's, to, it's to give room for people who are smart and are motivated and want to build something very cool and want that opportunity. I mean, I you know I, I'm a college dropout and I've never gotten a product management <laughs> certification, but I was a product manager for a substantial portion of my career because I had the opportunity to dig into a field that needed people and needed someone to really care about it. When there were companies out there paying people with certifications and degrees Mm -hmm. twice what I was making, but it was it led me to where I am now. So everybody in podcasting looking to hire on a technical level, be open to finding that young person, that person with a little less experience at that point and give them the chance.
2: I couldn't care less about if you've gone to university or college or what your degree or certification is. I like basically don't even look at resumes. It's a fancy the resume, usually the less of a culture fit, I would say. (laughs) I like scrappy, innovative people with great work ethic who are looking to make a difference. And I would say that I think not enough importance is placed on like the characteristics and traits that somebody and the values that somebody possesses. And it's so much about their experience and where they've worked and the bells and whistles of their resume and experience. And I have definitely, like I think one of the reasons our team is just so incredible and such unicorn hires is I have pulled together very diverse people from diverse perspectives and backgrounds. A lot of them don't have university and college degrees. Uh, actually, our CTO doesn't. He he dropped out of university. and awesome. He is so innovative and scrappy. He's the best problem solver I know and also not motivated by the money. He cares about troubleshooting and making a difference and innovating and... I think that's the one commonality between everybody in our team, and and that's why we've been able to. I get asked all the time. Like Quill is such a new company, but they've you know made done so much in such a short period of time, and I would say that is the secret sauce.
0: Well, I mean, you have. I mean, like the the branded side of the the agency, the production agency that you've done was the first thing you focused on, right? Like that, and that launched when.
2: So we officially, we incorporated in 2019, but we officially launched with our first agency client in March of 2020. So right before the pandemic and, you know, fast forward two years, we work with corporate Fortune 500 brands like PwC, Expedia, Microsoft. We have, you know, almost 22 full-time employees, 10 contractors. So we have grown really quickly. And I would say that the agency is so important to me because, you know, what you said earlier, that's where i realized the gaps where they all focus group for the product like we have this continuous discovery program where we're constantly tapping into content creators and we have this whole pipeline of people uh where we can tap into to figure out like what's working what's not the advertising and growth challenges how do you know if your show is successful how do you measure the roi of your podcast none of that would happen if we didn't have an agency so to me it's If you don't have some sort of a a program or channel where you're working on creating podcasts, I don't know how you would know what product to build.
0: And that and that's that's a really smart point. You didn't set out to build the technology, you found a gap, you decided mm-hmm. to build it. And I mean, let's be fair here, your the branded agency, the like the way for growth there, the way you're building that up has a clear growth path. This is a risk. It's a cool risk. I think it's very awesome because it's going to drive the industry forward, but the agency empowers your ability to invest in this technology. And the totally. reason it's able to grow and turn around so two total years for your entire company exists and you have the hosting platform going live very shortly. Yeah.
2: That's May 16. Yeah.
0: Well that that's amazing, right? Because what that means is that when you have a new feature, you have something new to test, you immediately have yeah. people who can check it out and say, "Oh, this can't go public." Right. Yeah. You have, you have yeah. people who are going to really totally. stress test it before anyone outside of your company does that because simulated environments only do so much. Right. My totally. favorite part about getting access to any platform is how quickly can I use it in a way someone didn't intend?
2: Absolutely. I mean, we are launching on May 16th. So, you know, a couple of weeks away from launch, but we already have 100 brands, corporate brands using our product. And we actually don't even launch features unless we've been you know, told to through the data that we're collecting in our uh, user feedback. We have a lot of inherent biases. I mean, we're so close to the industry, the data and the analytics um, and the content that, you know, we may think that we want to move in a certain direction and that's what people want. But ultimately, the data speaks for itself. And, and that's how we sort of laid out our entire roadmap and all of the features. And so, um, I mean, to your point, it's it's been sort of, you know, a game changer to have this pool of people that we can tap into that validate what we do and then help QA test it. So, I'm really excited about launch and 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 sort of bringing it to the world.
0: That's awesome. So, in the past 6 months, every question I've gotten for companies in your situation is, how do I start a technology side or should I start a technology side to my business that wasn't technology focused? What is your advice to someone contemplating that? Like, how do you know like when to make that move? Like, how do you, how do you know when it's worth it to build out a whole new division of your business?
2: Hmm. I would say, first and foremost, I think the importance of knowing if or when you need investors. We're a completely bootstrap company. We haven't taken a lick of VC or angel funding. And from day one, we, we were cash flow positive because of the service side of our business. I think the challenge is we live in an industry where everybody really champions raising funding. It's, you know, you're front and center in every publication. It's rah, rah, rah if you get, you know, funding. But we don't sit there and profile the companies that manage to bootstrap from day one. And it takes an enormous amount of hustle and having to be scrappy and the, the whole new set of challenges. But what it allows you to do is rather than spending your time in front of VCs and investors pitching your business and trying to get some funding to extend your runway, you're actually spending that time in front of customers and your, you know, users, not only closing sales, but understanding the pain points and challenges that they have. So, I mean, my first piece of advice would be if you have a part of your business where you can use the funding to invest in your tech, do that. Like you don't need to raise capital and it's not always the most glamorous way to go, like sort of forge your own path, which is what we did. And and I would say the second thing is, it's, it shouldn't initially be about the money. It should be about solving a problem and a need. And I know that sounds cliche, but there's so many different resources out there in the industry. Don't fix what isn't broken. Yeah. We went out to build out a product that we couldn't find. We looked for it. We talked to other hosting platforms. We knew exactly what we wanted and what we needed and we couldn't find it. And so we just said, all right, it's not out there rather than waiting for these, you know, hosting existing platforms to finally turn their attention towards what we need. Why don't we just build it ourselves? And it was a problem that we were solving first for ourselves. Um, you know, so don't just- build another network or another recording software or another microphone, just because you want to be in the tech space. Yeah. Think about where the gaps and challenges are. And really, you can only do that by speaking to your customers.
0: I, I love that so much. I am so adamant about the fact that there is technology that solves almost every problem today for everybody in this space. 100%. And if someone just wants to build for building's sake, I highly recommend signing a six-month or 12-month contract with something that does just enough And you succeed and you grow based on that. And then you hate how much you're cutting that check for every month. Right. Mm -hmm. That should be the driving force to build something that isn't completely unique, but you Mm want to own. Right. But on your end, you found a hole. There was something Mm -hmm. that was stopping you in this path. And you knew that this would be something that other branded podcast creators would be very interested in. It would be a new perspective. And while it could be a feature of some of these other hosting platforms, ones that are driven specifically by dynamic ad insertion mm-hmm. and other methods of monetization that are different than what your client base needs, totally. they're not going to be prioritized because the hosting platform is not going to land enough clients at a download rate to make it worthwhile when advertising absolutely. dollars are worth chasing. So
2: absolutely killer
0: reason, killer reason to make your own product there.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, like I would say that everybody who's listening in, in this industry knows that one of the biggest challenges we have is the fact that it's such a green space. It's the wild, wild west. The amount of information that you have at your fingertips if you're doing social media advertising or, you know, running ads on Google, Google Analytics, you have access to so much data and and user activity behind you know what's happening on consumption. And and we don't have that information readily available to us in the podcasting industry. It's just so fragmented, which, you know, pros and cons. It's really exciting working in this space because you can make such a difference. Difference. But every day we we work with clients who, who are asking us for XYZ KPI or XYZ metric. And it absolutely kills me to turn around and be like, well, we just don't have that. And, and we don't know why we don't have it. And so eventually we were like, okay, instead of giving that response, let's proactively work on changing it and finding that data and, and figuring it out. And, and that's really why we built Cohost. It was Um, to find all of the additional KPIs and and data points that would help professional podcasters understand the ROI of their podcast. Is it successful? And then to justify the production, creation of new production budgets.
0: I love it. That's where the future of this industry needs to go. We need to start looking at our tools and we need to remember that the client's needs have to be put first. Mm -hmm. And there's no better way to do that than being both the client and the creator of the technology.
2: Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. It's 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 a great story. And um, yeah, I I really hope that the industry will 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 give us a shot. I'm really excited about about what we've put together. We're in the process of going through IAB compliancy, Um, you know, really respect the standards that the industry has put together. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a really fun process and a year in the making. So really feels surreal being so close to launch
0: a year to build a hosting platform during a pandemic in the second year of your business. I'm very, very excited to see how this grows because I've had a chance to look at the tool. I think it's an incredible perspective and I really hope more people check it out because we need more innovation like this Thank you. as we continue to grow as a space.
2: Thank you, Brian. And, And also thank you so much for being such a huge supporter of our company and being such an ally. We definitely need more people like you in this industry.
0: Thank you.
1: Okay, Brian, ready for my takeaways?
0: Always. This is my favorite part.
1: (laughs) All right. So first of all, I just want to say that I am definitely guilty of thinking that the hosting space is overcrowded. It sounds to me like Fatima and her team identified needs that were not being fulfilled, and they're attempting to fill them with co-host, the new product.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think I even walked back a lot of my sentiment on that, too. We think about how we're seeing mergers and acquisitions. We're seeing um, all of that shift in this space as we're so far along in it from the start of podcasting, but that that's a bad mindset. I mean, if there is a hole, if there's a feature that can't be built, if there's an audience that's not being tailored towards, that's a great reason for a product to exist. And she did exactly that. The team built something unique for that.
1: And I think what's interesting is it's not just a hosting site like Buzzsprout or Blueberry or Podbean. It's a hosting site specifically made for corporate podcasters who are looking for particular KPIs that Fatima and her team were not able to find on other hosting sites. So she mentioned this, but instead of saying, I'm so sorry, we don't have that KPI, she said, what would it take to build it?
0: That's that's a hard question to ask, especially when you don't have an engineering team. And it takes a lot of guts to build a team around that, right? Like you can... You can know what your needs are and you can articulate them, but being able to get someone on the engineering side to understand it, understand enough about the space and execute on it is a big jump, right? That's a huge undertaking.
1: It's not just guts. It's also a lack of people in the tech space i mean squadcast also is looking for an engineer and fatima said we've been looking for an engineer for a while we've lo- been looking for full stack for a while not only is it hard to find engineers it's also very hard to find engineers who have experience in the podcast space and i think you mentioned this look beyond people who are who have experience in the podcast space but instead look for people who have a desire to work with startups a desire to work with and she said this a term that i hadn't heard before scale ups i like that idea People who want to work in this space and learn about the space, and you can train them to know what they need to know about this particular industry.
0: 100%. The most accessible thing we have to teach in podcasting is how podcasting works. And I'm really excited because the education course we're working on will premiere this summer. Plug. And (laughs) right. I'm so pumped. And it's freely available because I want to help more people do that. Right, we're moving so fast that sometimes to sit down and explain to someone the difference between a download and ad delivery versus ad impression, or why dynamic ad insertion can have host read ads instead of confusing that baked in and dynamic ad insertion are you know are delivery methods versus who the creative voice is.
1: That's what one of the French podcasters asked me yesterday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the type of education that we need to focus on that foundational growth stuff that we all know but we just need to slow down. And so that is what we can teach anybody. We can bring anybody into the space as long as we can commit the time to teach them about this
1: space. Here's another takeaway. VC and angel funding is overrated, especially in podcasting, especially in the tech space. I think this really came on display with the Elizabeth Holmes trial. We uh, People who are raising money are encouraged to essentially fabricate stories or make them sound more grand than they are Say things are fixed, say that there's a solution for something when there isn't necessarily a a solution for it yet. And with that, you're getting promises of money. You're even receiving funds for something that you don't necessarily know how you're going to fix. And um, I think we don't pay enough attention to the companies that bootstrap from day one, like Quill, like Squadcast. There are a bunch of companies in the podcast space, in the tech space that are bootstrapping and it is hard. It is difficult to make sure that you've got funding and and make sure that you can especially pay salaries for the people that work on your team um, and that their work is being valued. So I really like what she said that and I, I also really like that Fatima said that her company was cash flow positive from day one and they are using their learnings to create another product that will continue to make them financially solvent. My last takeaway is that we need to start looking at our tools in the podcast space and understanding that our clients' needs need to come first. So I see this all the time when we're working with the Squadcast community. We want to build something, but we... Sometimes think about building something before we know that it is a need of our clients. So that was that's why we have a really robust beta program, and I recommend everybody doing that because there's really no substitute for actual, real, on-the-ground usage of a product to make sure that it is fulfilling the needs of the people who are paying for it.
0: I agree. As someone who's had a lot of product management experience, the amount of times I've had to move us away from building something just because we we're excited to build it, to actually get client feedback to justify it, to actually make sure that we were solving their needs. It's tough. And sometimes it can feel unfulfilling on the product side, but that's how a company thrives and survives. You cannot always build towards your desires, especially when you start getting customers at scale or when you want to have customers at scale.
1: Yeah. So just to bring it full circle, Fatima and her team were working with enterprise clients, corporate clients who wanted specific KPIs from their podcast hosting site, maybe listen-through rate, maybe demographics on the listeners, and they were not able to find those things with the existing solutions. So they built it themselves. And while they're building it, they are testing it out. And I think that's such a great way to build a product.
0: Thanks for the great recap, Ariel.
1: Hey, Sounds Profitable listeners, what do you think of the show? We want to hear from you. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. We're on Twitter at Sounds Prof News at Brian Barletta, or at Ari This and That. And if you want to send us an email, that's podcast at soundsprofitable.com.
0: This show is recorded with Squadcast, the best place to record studio quality audio and video for content creators. I use Squadcast for every interview and product deep dive I do, and I encourage you to check it out. Go to squadcast.fm for a free seven-day trial and definitely let me know what you think.
1: Do you want more from Sounds Profitable? We have two more podcasts that you can explore. First up is Sounds Profitable, the narrated articles, and next, The Download, our podcast about the business of podcasting. And both of those are available in Spanish. You can find links to them in the episode description. Thank you to Evo Terra and Ian Powell for their help on this episode.